Today, we are joined by Blaise Grimes-Vore, a 20-year veteran in leadership, C-suite and consulting. I head up an engagement consultancy, effectively. We work with companies on three different aspects of their business. One is around social media engagement, how they're learning uh, from th those people's behaviours as well. The other aspect is when they bring these people into their communities within their businesses or around their businesses, creating reciprocal relationships and value going both ways. In September, we launched this, the Digital Community leaders report blaze you were involved in providing some expert thoughts and today we're going to go through three takeaways you have from the report i'm going to pick up on tech changes including ai there's two diagrams there in parallel on the other side of it is developing the right skills which obviously i think sits very nicely side by side i did spend a lot of time in the social media industry as well as the community industry so i've seen some of these developments i think the social media industry in some ways is ahead of community management now because of mass use of it hi blaze great to have you here Hello and welcome to the Digital Community Leaders Podcast, where we chat with community managers, champions and founders about their experience leading and supporting digital communities. My name is Pete Heslop and I lead the team at Steadfast Collective and we exist to craft digital applications that bring people together. We created the Digital Community Leaders podcast to be a bite-sized look into what it takes to start, grow and scale digital communities. Today, we are joined by Blaise Grimes-Vore, a 20-year veteran in leadership, C-suite and consulting, crafts worldwide social media solutions. He leads remote teams specializing in people-centric strategies and owns transformation agency that answer collaborating with major brands. Hi, Blaise. Great to have you here. Thank you for taking the time. Hi, Pete. Oh, thank you. No, thank you for having me on. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you first got stuck into the wonderful world of community? Sure. So um, I answered a paper ad on a, a university billboard, if you remember those, um, for moderators for a website then known as Friends Reunited, uh, probably the first. Wow. Okay. First uh, academic anyway. Um well, no, I don't think it was academic. I don't think it was. It was probably the first, one of the first social networks anyway. Um, I then worked uh, for the same agency on the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy website, which had just been acquired by the BBC. And we had to clean up all the content. Uh, again, a great early example of a wiki. Um, and then I cut my teeth on the very, well, I think the first iteration of the Sony PlayStation forums um, and then moved on up from there basically over the years. Yeah. That is that is an unbelievable origin story. That's super fun. Um, so then what were you doing at PlayStation? Was it for PlayStation or for PlayStation forums? Uh, so it was the PlayStation forums. Um, well, initially it was uh, moderation of the content on there uh, in English and in French, and then supporting their French team, their French territory manager as uh, well, basically outsourced community manager to help them develop that side of the platform. That's loads of fun. And why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're up to these days? Sure. So, um, well, I, I head up uh, a, an engagement consultancy, effectively. I mean, uh, we uh, we work with companies on three different aspects of their business. Um, one is around social media engagement. How are they interacting with uh, their consumers generally or people on social media? How are they learning uh, from th those people's behaviours as well? Um, the other aspect is when they bring these people into their communities within their businesses or around their businesses, um, how are they developing those relationships? 
creating you know recipro- reciprocal relationships with value going both ways, uh, developing their products, generating revenue where appropriate, and so on and so forth. And then the third aspect is the internal engagements within organisations, mm. which you know over the years I've led remote teams and you know blended hybrid teams, and I've found myself. Generally, you know, I've never had training as a manager at all or as a, as a C-suite leader. Uh, it has mostly come from me applying community management techniques. And I found it's very, very similar, particularly if you're working remotely or in a hybrid fashion. So uh, we work with companies in developing alignment between departments, uh, how to interact effectively, you know, non-aggressive communication, uh, remote communication, um, you know, setting up uh, interaction systems with them and and processes so they can be best effective uh, working together. I know that us as, um, you know, a, a team of less than 20 going from all being in person to being remote takes a lot of uh, intentionality around culture and community. Um, and I imagine for companies, uh, for large, you know, enterprise size companies of, of thousands or 10,000 people, it, it must be a real shock to system where they're used to having bums on seats and now they're having to mm. build culture over probably Microsoft Teams, um, bless their souls. Um, it, it, you know, it's a real shock to the system to HR, culture teams, the whole lot, I would imagine. Well, absolutely. I think the, the biggest challenge is, in fact, uh, you know, you, you said it, the developing culture internally where some people are physically there. We know that, you know, statistically, you're more likely to get noticed and get a promotion if you are physically present. Um, that's mm. not always the right decision from an organizational perspective. So, you know, we, we work with companies in developing unified cultures and, and unified management and reward models and recognition models. Um, some people are not as comfortable with digital communication. And so it's ensuring that they have those skills mm. and those abilities to to participate fully, uh, particularly when their personality might be that they don't feel comfortable speaking in this kind of environment, for example, uh, or Mm. indeed, if they are the remote participants, we know that people in the room tend to have a nice conversation amongst themselves and the people on the screen don't really get a say so unless they (laughs) shout their way in. So again, it's it's making sure Mm. the organisation is aware of all these challenges, that team members also, you know, cognizant of the challenges that each person in their individual circumstances are facing and, and, and welcoming, I suppose, to people's inputs and, and wanting to interact in a, a, a multifaceted way. So, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, it's an interesting world we're in. Personally, I mean, my very first role, my prof- first professional role in the industry was remote. So I used to uh, live in a bed sit in Norwich um, and work most of the nights <laughs> moderating. And I know exactly what it's like to feel disconnected from your uh, home base, as it were. Um, so, yeah, all of that experience has been put into what we offer our clients in terms of helping them develop the, the you know one single unified culture and experience for people rather than these layers a bit like an mm-hmm. onion you know you can end up with these multiple layers where different groups have different experiences and effectively you have multiple cultures which is not great nice i like that all your experience has kind of led you to where you are now and you're able to pull on that experience that you've uh, you've been there and you've done that um so when you're consulting it's not just um hypotheticals it's it's real life experiences that brings a lot of value to the table which is great yes i I i think we you know the the reality is is 
we can all find frameworks and we can all refine frameworks that are available publicly. There's plenty of books on the topic that have been written by some very smart people. Uh, but the reality is, is like any, you know, Coca-Cola case study, there's only so much you can learn from mm. one person's model that applies to a body of experience that they have. I think it's critical that these systems that other people have created are then pass through the ring as it were and i think this is the one thing that we've we've done a lot me and my colleagues is applied these models in real life experiences with companies in multiple um sectors and we can say well these things work these things don't work that works better in this set of circumstances and so on and there's no short a quick fix to any of that you just have to be willing to experiment no. and to apply the systems um so no, to your point, I think the best consultants are the ones with that body of experience who can point to situational experimentation. Um, but, you know, yeah, there are some very good models out there that people have put out, and it's not to bash those. But, uh, yeah, you have to apply them freely and learn from that. So in September, we launched this, the Digital Community Leaders Report, which was a six-month project to survey and better understand the community profession. Um, the report is now kind of freely available at communityleadersurvey.com. Uh, we can download a free copy or you can order your very own printed copy. And Blaze, you were involved in um, providing some expert thoughts, um, which are in here. Um, and today we're going to go through kind of three takeaways you have from the report um, and just kind of chat them through. So let's dive headfirst into what your first kind of thought or takeaway was from the Digital Community Leaders Survey Report. Sure. Um, well, the, the first one is I very much like the picture above my quotes, but I won't pick that one for one of my three. Um, <laughs> much better sections. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I mean, I'll, I'll point it out just in case we can slip this in and, and point people to, and I can't remember the page. I can't remember, but it's uh, it was a, a, a very interesting um, way of onboarding people um, through, the, uh, okay. through the use of Mural. Yeah, I do recommend checking it out. But no, thoughts one. So um, I think starting near the beginning of the report, um, I just, I really liked the, the, the blowout around membership organisations exploding. And I think it's uh, mm. a reassuring aspect of, of community development at the moment. Um, we know that people want to find support. Uh, there's a lot of people in the work, well, no longer in the workplace right now. Um, there's a lot of layoffs, a lot of change economically. Uh, I think it's incredibly stressful for a lot of people. And it's very reassuring to me that we as community builders can offer that supportive environment through membership organisations where people can find support and they can grow in a collaborative way. And I think there's never been a time in the last 10, 20 years where we've needed it most. Um, you know, certainly I can, I, I'm sure there have been a large economic downturns in the past, but we wouldn't have had access to this technology. And I think that's a, that's a really positive outcome of all of this. So we know that people want to go back, you know, are going back to face-to-face -face working in, in, in larger numbers due to the organisational pressure whether that's a, a, right, a good thing or not. I mean, that's a whole other discussion. But I think ultimately we do know that there are huge benefits that have come out of this availability and this recognition of the power of online communities. And I think in a professional setting, we do have a really big opportunity to bed that in, bed that perception in. Um, 
I also think it's a less risky environment than your typical social media network type of situation, which, you know, quite rightly so has had a lot of flack thrown at it. We know that there's a lot of negative and unpleasant and unsafe behavior on social media networks versus, uh, you know, secure and managed online community spaces. Um, and, uh, you know, we also know that social media is, is through TikTok, we can see it's a lot more about con consumption of content rather than interaction. So I found, uh, you know, I found the, the member-wise comments, you know, 41% increase in online community growth and adoption. Yeah, and there was a second uh, quote in the report uh, from Beamer around uh, the value of their uh, next generation digital leaders internship program and how that's come out of their member collaboration in their uh, members community and their membership organization. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's a great thing that uh, we have, I'd say, managed to make these spaces quite mature at this stage. Um, you know, the, the fact mm. that we, the combination of this massive, massive amount of shared knowledge. Um, so it reminds me a lot of wikis, which are, high intensity in terms of engagement and quite limited in terms of participation in the sense of creation, creating community, whereas a membership organization, it's a lot easier to create value and create content in small bits in a conversational manner or in a, an event setting. For membership organizations, we kind of see that there's been a large adaptation for them to kind of pick up communities and I online communities. And I see that because arguably it's never been easier to start a community outside your local, you know, postcode because the the barrier to entry is so low in terms of picking up some of the the software we see online. I guess the interesting thing will be to see how that pans out, whether or not they take the jump into bringing in professionalism around community managers themselves, because you can, you know, jump into to, to Guild or to Mighty Networks or open a Slack or whatever you want, and you can start community. But mo moving that from being run by the person who's just got free time in the office to being actually, this is something we're taking seriously, that's, that's the jump. And I'd be interested next time we run the report to see actually how many of those organizations have taken the jump from being this is kind of um, something we started to something that we're continuing it, continuing with and investing heavily into. I know that in the CMX report a few years ago, they reported that you know money was being poured into community, but that was during the pandemic. And it'd be interesting to see what that looks like in a year or two time. Yeah, well, I, th I think the, in terms of the professionalization, there's a, you know, compared to what I saw 10 years ago, let's say, there's a lot more training available. You know, I think the uh, Meta did a, a lot of great work around their certification and helping people who were running, I suppose, hobby communities or, or you know, mm. uh, volunteer communities and helping upskill them to a point where actually if they could monetize the community, then it was a form of professionalization. And I think, you know, that on the point of monetization, I think, going back to membership organizations and their communities, there's a lot more experience and knowledge and uh, toolkits allowing you to do that upsell and cross-sell. So I think the, mm. the, you know, the return on investment is slightly easier to interpret in some situations. I think others are still quite tricky, but in the case of membership organizations, if you have a, a good solid funnel and a good comprehension of where the community fits in the funnel, why it's there, what you're trying to encourage people to do and, and, you know, where the I suppose, monetary value for the organization comes in, um, it's a lot easier to track that and then reinvest or, yeah. you know, employ someone dedicated on it. And I think generally for membership organizations, we are 
my feeling is that we're not seeing so many, uh, you know, uh, people who are doing it in a few hours a week. Uh, it's at least a part-time job, if not a full-time yeah. job. And certainly the clients I'm speaking yeah, with, fair. they have a dedicated community manager. Nice. Fab. Let's slide on to your thought too. What's, what's, your, what's your second big takeaway from the report? Okay, so this time I do have a page, page 48, I remember this. Um, so it's the page that covers uh, challenges and risks to be overcome in 2024 and what uh, community managers are yeah. seeing uh, in terms of the, the environment they're in and, and what they need to focus on. Um, I'm going to pick up on uh, something nestled in the middle, which is tech changes, um, including AI. And in parallel to it, you know, there's two diagrams there. In parallel, on the other side of it, is developing the right skills, which obviously I think sits very nicely side by side. Um, now, mm. I did spend a lot of time in the social media industry as well as the community industry, so I've seen some of these developments. You know, I think the social media industry in some ways is ahead of community management now because of the mass use of it. Um, you know, we saw similarity mm. in the early days, I don't know, 2000 and nine, I suppose, once we started developing scale to 2012, where um, everyone was a generalist. You know, you created the content, you did the engagement, you did moderation, you tried to, you know, sell stuff and calm people down and deal with crisis and so on. And then from about 2013 and 14, you know, probably as social media became a bit more about content and a bit more about advertising, we saw those specializations of, um, mm -hmm. of roles. And, uh, you know, the last social media team I headed up, there were specialists and I had divisions in strategy, insight, creative and engagement, you know. And so yeah. people didn't have to worry, <laughs> you know, can I write content? Can I just focus, you know, maybe I can just focus on engaging with people. And, I, you know, I think on one hand, the industry is fantastic. The community industry is fantastic in that a generalist can come in and do a, good, a great job and, and, and get a lot of um, mm. traction in what they're doing. At the same time, I think the, the focus on developing the right skills and the tech uh, developments are similar to what happens with um, social listening. For example, all of the insight tools that started appearing around uh, social media. And I think we're going to see a need, or we are seeing a need where um, people are having to create more varied content. I mean, what we're doing here, for example, creating a podcast, you know, I think it's quite typical. It often sits with a community team. Um, doing webinars sits with the community team in some capacity, or at least we have to create some around our communities. So there's a lot more multimedia skills needed, and there's definitely now scope mm. for you know, the volume of content being created for a specialist role. In the same way with the tech side, you know, with AI and prompt engineering or tool setup or, you know, um, uh, data stream management and so on and so forth, I think, again, we can start seeing a bit more segmentation. And I'm looking forward to, you know, to be, for, for community managers to either go into specialist departments in their workplace, you know, whether that's the tech team and say, well, look, can I help upskill you in dealing with my platform? You know, or going into the insight team and saying, well, look, I've got this data stream and it needs analyzing. And what I want to do is find out this and can you tell me that and so on. And how can I help you, A, develop an interest and B, develop the skill set? So I think it's not necessarily about the community manager becoming a specialist in that sense. It's also carrying on the great work the community managers do, which is identify the right person, mm -hmm. engage with them, find out what they need and then help them do what is good for the community, I suppose which takes me back to my point about doing everything we do, but internally as well. It's the same skills. Yeah, it is. And, and, and we see so many, like I said, we see so many community managers who are excellent generalists. Um, and then what I am finding fun in my 
in in when I get to chat to community managers is those that have um, often been around a bit longer have found their thing that they want to be doing. They don't want to be doing everything from you know, setting up Slack to analyzing how people are, are leaving. They don't want to do everything that they, they want to specialize, which is understandable is often happens in career paths. And um, yeah, it will be interesting to see over the next, you know, three, five years, how that progresses as, especially in the UK, the profession, the profession kind of moves onwards. Um, and we start seeing those specific roles. And it'd be interesting to see what some of those job titles are that we start seeing floating around we're already starting to see kind of you know head of communities and and chief community officers and that kind of stuff and what is the the niches under that what does that fallout look like it'll be a fun fun to see over the next few years yeah well i think we can look at you know other we can look at marketing and we can look at social media i think it will be around creative it will be around data analysis and technical skills and uh you know maybe seo and advertising i mean that's something i think we you know i don't see spoken about enough and i feel that you know whenever i have a bit of a gap for my own content output i think i should talk about that i think that part of the uh, user acquisition funnel is not touched upon enough and i think there's a lot of things that work really well that people are probably just not aware of um but i think ultimately being able to engage with you know again going back on my experience the benefits i saw of being able to engage specialists you know but there's probably about three main aspects that i felt my team and me benefited from and one is that you get a, a far greater um diversity of perspective particularly where you're trying to build diverse communities with you know with a lot of members from different sides of society i think you need to have a team that represents that so um particularly Mm. where conversation itself is quite dynamic and is so you know affected by what is going on in society um though each of those specialists are bringing their own perspective you know from their own backgrounds into play and from a team cohesion and team output perspective you just make better content you engage better you're more aware being able to lean to a colleague who has a different background in life and saying well am i saying the right thing here you know is this the right way to respond yeah. is invaluable and you just can't do that on your own as a generalist um another aspect is around innovation and creativity i held a, an innovation brief at the exact level uh, some time ago and again there you know doing it on your own or with a small teams you have a bit of tunnel vision i think once you start blowing out your team and bringing in again um, a variety of opinions and experiences it really helps foster that creativity that you need in innovation mm-hmm. and you know i'm just very aware of the limitations of my experience i have broad experience you know i can share some very interesting stories but i'm very conscious that other people that I talk with come from completely different backgrounds or different experiences that yeah. I cannot imagine. You know, it's the old expression, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, yeah. And being yeah. able to hear that in a meeting of someone challenging you and saying, no, have you considered this? That's how you come up with great new ideas. Yeah. It, it, the, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Um, fab. Okay, let's, 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 we're on a roll. Let's go on to the, the third and final thought you have from the report, please. Sure. Um, so page 98 in this case, I'm going to stick with uh, skill sets. Um, now, I think, you know, we, we, we look at, if we look at the graph, I th- you know, again, I, th- I think content is at the top, uh, is what you'd expect. But as I said around SEO and, and advertising, and, and I touched upon research mm. and insights, I think there's a, there are other aspects that are not being looked at as much. Now, again, as a generalist, you do have to triage your opportunities and, and, and prioritize your, ty- your time. My feeling around particularly research and insights is that 
without it, you can't strategize effectively. Just not possible. I mean, you, I think mm. any strategy is going to be a bundle of assumptions without good research and insight. And not many people have that, those hard skills. We help a lot of clients with those reports. Um, there's a, a variety of reports that we provide. Um, and ultimately, it always leads to better outcomes for the community. So whether that's understanding how the communities are performing, which a lot of people, a lot of topics of conversation online in the community space is still around not being convinced that people know. You know, a lot of community managers don't feel comfortable knowing whether their community is performing well mm. or not. Um, also looking at what trends and key topics are driving the target personas. Um, my experience, what I'm seeing is that often communities community programs do not have personas or clear, clearly defined target personas. And hence, how can we know what the trends and behaviors are and lean into that? So mm. the content is a bit generic. Um, and then, you know, going back to looking at the, you know, the SEO value of the content being produced and leveraging social channels, social media channels to, for acquisition is not an area that's really looked at in terms of driving adoption. I think it's also represented in, in one of the results, which is that word of mouth is still the key driver. Now, the problem with word of mouth yeah. is it's great, but it's just me and my friends, and we all and think alike. And again, in terms of diversity of the community, yeah. you end up with a very monolithic perspective. Um, typically, the more the stronger that core view is, the harder it is for newcomers to join and, and express uh, other opinions and views. And, and it, you know, it doesn't lead to dramatic growth, basically. Um, so I think these are all areas of potential growth for leaders. Um, I, I think it will help with their decision-making generally. Um, it will help with optimizing that user engagement far better than, uh, than sort of just looking at what is happening in the community. I don't know how much, uh, you know, community leaders are performing competitive analyses and something that we did a lot of with social because it's very easy. All the tools, you know, all the data mm. was, all the data was mostly free and, and all easily accessible through tools like Brandwatch. Uh, with community, it is harder. So we do a lot of desk research around competitive analyses, but there's a lot to learn from other people's mistakes always and successes. Um, and then uh, just generally that personalized member experience. You know, um, I think we can't necessarily look at what the people in the community are doing on its own. We have to look at the people who we want to attract uh, and what they're doing and, you know, to understand how to attract them. Yeah. Um, and I think we can do a lot more around that target persona definition. With that kind of data analysis, um, that is that is a fairly different skill set to your to, to away not different but it is definitely niched away from the um your kind of average community manager who's doing everything is there resources you could point people at or tools um maybe software or frameworks that you've created where it's like there's this huge world of data analysis but here's the things or here's where you could start here's like five quick things you should maybe be thinking about or focusing on do you know any of resources or tools that could help kind of get people started 
So, uh, yes, I think the, the, the two tools that probably, uh, you know, the, the, are linked the closest to community data analysis are Comsol and uh, Common Room. Uh, Common Room in particular has mm. uh, some great resources on their website around how one can analyse community data. Uh, FeverB as well, Richard Millington has put out a huge amount of content over the years around benchmarking, uh, analysing performance uh, and extracting insight from that. Um, so th th those... All those places are great places to start. Um, I have frameworks mm. that I haven't publicised. I mean, the, the the challenge I've had over the years is a lot of my work has been under NDA or proprietary. So I'm sort of slowly rebuilding my toolkit in, under my own brands. I, you know, the, the company, the agency's only been running for was in its second year, so it's still early days. But I sure. hope to put out some content. Um, but otherwise, no. Uh, I think the but I, I you know I do think the best places to look here sideways. I think going to for example the Sprout social uh, set of resources. I know it's social media, but a lot of the methodologies apply as well. Um, if you can acquire yeah. data or apply those methodologies on external communities and, and just do desk research and observational analysis, um, it will get mm. it will get people a lot further down the line just by doing that. Um, there just isn't the wealth yeah. of tools that social media has for community management yet. So I think a lot of it has to be desk research. As a business, as we grew up, I had to start um, really leaning on data for some of the decisions we were making, um, whether being around budgetary or, or whatever it is. And a book that really helped me um, kind of separate my decision making was um, the, the Six Thinking Hats. Um, so the concept that when you are making a decision, there's various colored hats you can wear and those hats um, ask you to think in a particular way. So it might be one that you um, only need to think about the gut feeling around this decision and actually facts don't matter. It's just what your gut feeling is. Mm -hmm. One might be we purely want... Um, I can't remember them all, an emotional response or a factual response or, or an analytical response. And for me, when I'm chatting with my management team, I will ask them for what response I'm looking for. So I'm looking for a gut feeling here, or actually mm. I only want you to think about the facts. So from the facts point of view, what's the decision that should be made? Um, so I really think when I'm approaching, especially a big chunky problem, which might affect the next one, two, three years, I like to put on various different hats and then almost talk to myself from those different angles because actually something in your gut can feel really right. But when you look at it on paper, the facts mm. are just saying the data says your gut feeling is wrong and you need to readdress where you're coming from. Um, and I find that a really helpful tool in my kind of toolbox of decision making. Yeah, no, no, I've, done, I've used that technique. I think I, I approach, I, I mean, I suppose I've not sat in the CEO seats until now. So it's, uh, you know, the experience has, has been a bit different. I've sat as part of an exec who's usually had to put forth my opinions to a CEO. Um, no, I, I, I like the, um, I think it's called a three by five approach where you ask a team to mm -hmm. put down their, their thoughts of what a solution could look like to a, a problem statement. They each take three minutes to write down on their you know sheets on the wall or sticky notes and then everyone slides down and they then have to either write down new ideas that are not there or take someone else's idea that has been left behind and mash it up with one of theirs or 
come up with a new combination, but then you keep sliding down until you have something like 300 odd ideas, 280 of which are absolute garbage and derivative and of no interest, but you get the absolute most random and interesting output, you know, mashups and combinations of mm. ideas from it. Uh, and by which point also by the end of the program, people are putting down what they think is nonsense because their brains are completely fried after about 10 or 15 minutes, but sometimes that's the best. No filter ideation, mm. and, and that can be very effective um, as well. I love those kind of sessions. I, lo I love those kind of sessions where often quantity is what we're looking for over quality because mm. it's just get into that flow state where you're just trying to get your kind of subconscious down on paper. Mm. And actually, um, someone we use facilitation often is like, there's no bad idea, just get anything down. Um, and it's always fun. Mm. Fab, um, Blaze, I really appreciate your time today. Um, I really appreciate your expertise in the report um, and just generally um, being involved in this process. Um, it's been great having you on. If people wanted to reach out and kind of chat to you about any of your thoughts or just reach out to find out more about what you're up to, where's the best place to, to talk to you? Uh, well, I can be found on LinkedIn, as you'd expect. Um, and then mo most other channels, I have switched off my Twitter pretty much and moved to threads. I'm, I know it's uh, got a long way to go, but uh, I do believe that it is a slightly better place to be at the moment. Um, but otherwise, no, uh, is the answer dot consulting. You can send me an email from there and reach me for any discussions. Perfect. Thanks for your time, Blaze. I'll chat to you soon.